Father, thank you that your presence is, is thick amongst us this morning as we worship, as we look to you. And we pray, Father, that as we look to your word now, that same sense of your presence would abide with us, would rest on us. And Father, as we look at this very familiar passage, I pray that the freshness of the Spirit would breathe life into it and you would speak deeply into who we are as a congregation, as a family together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I lift up my glasses to see who's here. And um, yeah, we, I'm going to read in a minute from a very familiar passage to I think many of you from 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, just wonder how many people have heard a message from 1 Corinthians 13 before the, the message of love okay quite a lot and how many of you that was at a wedding yeah it is the the go-to passage for a wedding isn't it just like Psalm 23 is the go-to passage for a funeral and um and that's expected. It's beautiful words, beautiful poetry. But Paul didn't write it for a couple getting married. He didn't write it for a wedding ceremony. He didn't even write it for individuals. He wrote it for a community of believers like us, a church. And um, I'm going to read it now from, because it's so well known and so it's so poetical in the language you read it, I'm going to read it from the message, which are slightly unusual translation to it and as I read it I don't think the words are going to be on the screen listen for how different it is and how shocking maybe it is 1 Corinthians 13 if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have, and love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle, and it doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompleteness will be cancelled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. 
when it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. I've been um, chewing over this passage for a week, as you do when you're going to speak on something. And I've listened to the whole um, reading of 1 Corinthians, um, the whole passage of 1 Corinthians, the book, um, as a reading. And two times I listened to David Suchet reading it, which is what I sometimes do to get a flow for what the author, Paul, is trying to say. Because if I just read it, often I I get led down rabbit holes and I get caught up in things and I, I kind of lose the flow of what Paul's trying to say, what the author's trying to say. And so I'd listen to this and every time I got to chapter 13, it was like the rug being pulled out from underneath my feet. It was always a shock. Because from chapter 1 to 12, Paul is being down to earth. He's being direct. He's answering questions. He's being abrasive and sometimes, and he's confronting sin. And then he gets to this part of of chapter 13, and he suddenly becomes all poetic, all otherworldly, all ethereal. And then suddenly he shifts back again into chapter 14 to 16, where he's being down to earth and real again. And I was thinking, what? What happened to Paul in this instance that he wrote this chapter, chapter 13? And I think maybe in chapter 13, he catches a glimpse, or he wants us to catch a glimpse of what the body of Christ should look like when it's grown up, mature and flourishing, when it's living at its best. And um, he's writing to a church that isn't always like that. But he's saying, this is what I aspire to for you to grow up to be. And so there's a few things that I pulled out from this passage. I'm sure you might have listened to it and heard other things. But these are three things that I think, for me, of what God probably saying, possibly saying to us as a congregation. And the first thing is in um, those first verses, one to three. And it's love has to be the foundation Love has to be the foundation. Paul starts off by painting a picture, if you like, of what happens when a church has all the external signs of success, and he lists them out. Eloquent speech, amazing prophetic words, understanding hidden mysteries, faith that can move mountains, sacrificial, even giving up your lives as a martyr for the sake of Christ. But doesn't have abiding communal love, God's love at its core. If love is absent and all these signs and wonders and sacrifices are ultimately worth absolutely nothing, if they're building on a a foundation which is just on things other than Christ and his love, then the building is going to grow at some point distorted and wonky and out of line. And so he is saying, the foundation has to be love. 
in Corinth where he was writing, the church was a combination of godliness and flesh. Of following different leaders, of boasting in spiritual gifts, etc. And Paul is saying it's time to put immaturity behind you and build instead in love. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this very famous prayer. I pray that you, and again he's talking to a church, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Love The unconditional love of God has to be the foundation on which everything else is built. So, looking at the next verses, verses 4 to 7, if love has to be foundational, what does this kind of love look like? Is it just sentiment? Is it like those posters you used to get in Christian bookshops of rainbows and sunsets and fluffy bunnies with a scripture verse written over the top? I am... I was thinking of having some slides for this talk, and I I googled um, love bears all things to see what images would come. You have to make sure you spell bears the right way when you do that. But love bears all things. And um, I got pages of pictures of teddy bears and hearts with a scripture written over the top. And I thought, really? Is that what Paul had in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, teddy bears and hearts? Of course he didn't. He was talking about love that was fleshed out amongst people who were struggling in a world that was full of sin and they were struggling to love each other and was nitty-gritty and was down to earth. And so that's why he says um, these words... um, Love is incredibly patient. It is consistently kind... It's not envious of others' success or blessing. It's not boastful. And he goes on, doesn't he? And we could, at some point, preach a sermon on every one of those and taking them as a category, and every one would be rich and meaningful and challenging to us. I'm not going to do that this morning. You'll be glad to hear. But Paul is setting the benchmark. This is the standard of what love should be like between us, between brothers and sisters. This is the kind of love that God has for you, and this is the kind of love he is looking for in a congregation, in a body, in a family. And I wonder, how how do you do with that? How do I do measuring up to that? How do we as a congregation at St. Mary's do with that kind of amazing love? And that's a profoundly important question for us. It's not just sentiment. Because Jesus said to his disciples, this is how the world will know you are mine. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples and they'll recognize that because of the love you have for one another. And that's deeply challenging. It's been deeply challenging as I prepare this sermon to think, That quality of love, is that in my life? 
And then in the next little passage from verses 8 to 13, Paul talks about the enduring quality of love. Everything else will pass away, Paul says, but love will remain. Gifts and ministries, the things that we so highly esteem in one another in ministries. Even, he says, the greatest gifts of faith and hope, they will not look the same when Jesus returns and when we are made complete in him. Because we won't need to have faith and hope in the same way that we do now, because we will see him as he is. Because everything will be made clear. And so love has this quality of enduring and being eternal when everything else is not. And I was thinking, what examples do I have of that kind of enduring love? People that I know. And uh, there were many things, and, and, and some of those people might be here this morning. They are about what enduring love and persevering love looks like. But I thought about the people that I've, I've worked amongst in, in India. And I kind of pictured their life, how they've made India their home, how they um, would call the people they live amongst their family. And I pictured their life and their ministry through the lens of Revelation 7, verse 9. And that's that picture that John sees when he has the revelation in John of a great multitude of people from every tribe and nation and language group gathered around the throne of God, worshipping the Lamb on the throne. And I imagine somebody coming up to them and saying, how did you get to be here? Who was it who told you? about Jesus and how did you respond and I imagine them replying people came to us they prayed for us they fasted for us they learnt our language and our customs but what really counted was they loved us well when our baby died in childbirth they drove the mother and baby home They helped us bury our baby. They sat and wept with us when our auntie got terribly sick in the night. They came out in the night and took us to hospital and represented us before the doctors who don't trust us. When our 13-year-old daughter, Rani, was set on fire by a kerosene lamp and had terrible burns, they came, they prayed for her. They wept with us, but rejoiced when she was restored. They loved us well. And I think love like that will be remembered. <laughs> love like that will endure in heaven. Love like that, which, which sacrifices, will, will last forever. The paradox is, I'm not very good at loving like that. <laughs> and I look around at people, and I guess you're probably thinking the same. I'm sure you are. some of you may be thinking, I don't know if I can love like that. And sometimes when I'm receiving love from other people and affirmation, or I'm trying to give it to other people, I still feel like a bit like the awkward teenager I was, self-conscious. And my, 
One of, I'm reading an author at the moment called Eugene Peterson, who was the translation of that passage, The Message. And he wrote these words, which has been really helpful to me. He says this, There is nothing I am less good at than love. I'm far better in competition than love. I'm far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love one another. I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily, to open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. I love that. I decide every day to set aside what I'm best at, what I find most easy. I don't know what that is for you. To do what I find less easy, which is loving others. And so my prayer for myself and for our church is, Lord, enlarge our hearts. Increase our capacity from you to receive and give your love. Because it's not just sentiment. It's just not icing on the cake. It is foundational and it is eternal. And God wants us to love well. In 1 John 4, a beautiful, beautiful passage, John the Apostle says, Beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. In verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. Everything that we have, everything that we receive, is first been given by God the Father to us. There's no greater example of love than Jesus going and hanging on a cross for us. There's no greater love that endures than that. And so we can surrender today to this love of God we can allow it to go deeper in us to work in us to, uh, to heal us as we surrender to its work or we can resist it we can maintain a cover of self-protection never be vulnerable never allow God's love to penetrate below the surface The choice is ours in some ways. And so just in this moment of stillness, if, if that resonates with you as it resonated so much with me, let's pray. Lord, would you deepen our hearts? Lord, would you increase our capacity, our willingness to receive from you? Lord, we surrender to allow your love to go deeper into the places in us which may be hidden, maybe even shameful, to allow your love to do a work that would transform us.
And so in this quiet moment, you might want to just surrender again to the love of God. Jesus said, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And I have called you friends. The friendship of God comes with the fear of the Lord as well. Let's continue to receive from him as we worship together.